Well, good evening. I'm blessed to be with you all here tonight. Um, if you were here the last time I had the opportunity to teach here at College and Career, you may remember um, I did this. I walked around and talked from the floor, and uh, it's kind of how I roll. So Travis has graciously said that's cool with him. So hopefully it's cool with you guys. You're not weirded out by me being a little closer um, and up in your face a little bit tonight. So, um, man, I'm, I'm new to Florida. I've been here for uh, just about a year, and so I'm still learning the ways of the Floridian life, right? Um, like this weather. You know what I'm saying? Um, in Illinois, we do not have this type of weather. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, um, this hurricane, um, tropical storms. These are, this is foreign language to me. I don't know how it works. I don't know what's happening. I have no idea. For y'all, you're like, been there, done that, right? It's just how it goes. Like, I was just talking with our high school students a, a few Sundays ago. Like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, the seasons here. And they, like, all laughed at me and said, we don't have seasons. It's just hot, right? And so, um, Florida is different. Um, there are, like, lizards running around everywhere, okay? For you guys, that's probably, like, you don't even think about it or look at it, but still, my kids are, like, lizards everywhere, you know? And every time I walk out the door, lizards go running everywhere. I'm like, this is just crazy, right? Another thing that's different about Florida from Illinois, um, there are a lot more Spanish speakers, okay? How many Spanish speakers do we have in the house? Raise thy hand. Okay, quite a few of you, uh, which is an awesome thing. Um, it makes me greatly regret a decision I made in high school, okay? For some reason, I took four years of high school French. Why would I do that, right? Like, when in my life am I ever going to use my high school French? Why did I take French? I can tell you the answer why I took French, right? Answer for a lot of bad mistakes that we make in life. There was a cute girl in French, so I took French class so I could be in her class, right? I should have taken Spanish. How much more helpful would that be in my life on mission trips and things like that. Um, but there are a lot more Spanish speakers in, in Florida, which is awesome. Um, it's hard to learn another language. You all know that. It's very hard to learn another language. Consider this. What if I were to give you a challenge tonight? Um, not Spanish, not French. What if I were to give you a challenge tonight to attempt to learn the German language in the next 30 days? Okay? Most of, most of us, I'm guessing, know uh, very little to know German. Um, what if I gave you the challenge to uh, pro proficiently learn the German language in the next 30 days, and if you accomplish this challenge, I will give you $10 million. There you go, right? Okay, so maybe you take this challenge. Imagine what your next 30 days would be like. You'd be all about one thing, right? you'd be all about learning the German language. I certainly know I would be, because right now I only know one phrase in German. Would you all like to hear it? Here it goes. Hast du einen Berenhunger? That's all I got. It means I'm as hungry as a bear. Okay? I have no idea why I know that. I do know that, though. So for me, if I were to take this challenge, my next 30 days, man, I would be all about one thing. I'd be all about learning the German language. So I would do things like I would buy German textbooks. 
I would hire a German tutor. I would get German CDs. Of course, I would get Rosetta Stone, right? Y'all know what that is? Uh Uh-huh. And I would be listening to those CDs like every second of every day. If I was in my car, uh, rolling in my 98 Accord, okay, with a bass bumping, um, I would be listening to Rosetta Stone. If I was in the shower, I'd be listening to Rosetta Stone. If I was sleeping, I would be listening to German and Rosetta Stone, just hoping I could soak up and not waste uh, any second of the day. I mean, I'd be watching German YouTube videos. Um, I would buy a German Shepherd, all right? I mean, I'm just going to do whatever I can in those 30 days to be about one thing, to learn the German language. Perhaps you would probably do the same thing as well. So tonight, the question I want to hit you all with, kind of the one big question, the one main thought I want you guys to think about tonight, is what is your one thing? What is your one thing in life? What is the one thing you yearn for? What is the one thing you crave? What is the one thing that you long for? What is the one thing that you are absolutely most passionate about in life? What is your one thing? So tonight we're going to turn to a scripture uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's It's a short story, but it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it has had huge impact uh, in my life over the years. And what we're going to find in this story is a man who is undoubtedly a man of one thing. His name is Elisha, and uh, we're going to look at the story of the calling of Elisha's life. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, um, roll with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at those few verses tonight, and we're going to look at this question. Um, We're going to we're going to see our need uh, to be a man of one thing or a woman of one thing, just as Elisha is as well. And so um, it's always good before we start uh, reading, the, reading the text, reading the passage, to make sure we have a little bit of context to know what's going on um, kind of before and leading up to this passage to help us better understand the passage that we're actually going to be looking at. And so at this point, before we jump into uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, it's important to know a little bit about not Elisha, but a man with kind of a similar name, Elijah, okay? And we see um, uh, leading up to this, Elijah has, has been a prophet of the Lord, and God has used him to do some mighty and incredible things. He's gone through some very difficult uh, times as a result of being a prophet of the Lord as well. Um, But what we see happening in in 1 Kings chapter 18, the chapter preceding the passage we're going to look at tonight, is Elijah um, is growing old in years, and the Lord comes to him, and he tells him um, that as he is uh, about to die, it's time for him to pass uh, the office of prophet to another. And the, the prophet he's going to kind of pass the torch to is Elisha. And so that happens in 1 Kings chapter 18. And so then what we see happening is Elijah, he, he goes out to find Elisha to kind of pass the torch of the office of prophet. And that's where we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And so he says, it says, So he departed from there, he being Elijah at this point, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. 
And he said to him, go, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Pretty incredible passage. Pretty incredible passage. It's almost hard to um, just kind of uh, grasp the depth of what we just read there just by rolling through the passage one time. Um, it's almost like you kind of have to, to visualize it. You kind of have to picture it. Um, you, you have to remember, these are real people, right? These are real people that lived thousands of years ago um, that obviously had, had jobs, that had families, um, that had faith, that had struggles, that had challenges. These are real human beings, real men and women, just like you and I. And, and, and this is a, a real story, a real event that happened in history. So, so like I said, you almost kind of have to picture it, right? So here's Elisha, and the text says um, that he, he's out in the fields, and it says uh, that, that he has 12 pair of oxen, right? This is, this is a very clear indication that Elisha was a very wealthy man, okay? Very wealthy man by the fact that he had so many oxen. And so it's, it's, a no, it's an ordinary, normal day. Uh, he, he's out plowing the fields, and here comes this great prophet, Elijah. He, he kind of comes rolling up behind him. And the text says, um, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. This is a symbolic act. This is a symbolic act and kind of his way of showing, uh, as he puts his cloak upon Elisha, that he is passing um, the office of prophet from himself to Elisha. Okay, so it's the symbolic act. So you got to just imagine, man, Elisha's just out plowing the fields, and it makes it sound like that Elisha, Elijah just kind of comes up out of nowhere, puts his cloak upon him, and then kind of passes by, right? Because listen to what the text says. It says, uh, he, left, uh, he, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. So he has to kind of run after him. And what's he say when he, gets to Elisha, to, uh, when he gets to Elijah? He says, let me kiss my mother and my father, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And so, it uh, seems like a reasonable request, right? Before uh, I roll out and follow you and leave my family, um, can I please go and talk to my mother and my father about this? And Elisha says to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? He's basically saying there, um, who am I to stop you from doing that? Okay? And so he goes and he talks to his mother and his father. And to me, this is just where it gets, uh, just gets awesome and gets incredible. Listen to what happens when he returns. It says, He returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. This is crazy. This is crazy, right? Here's, a, here's this wealthy man. Here, here's this man. He has uh, these 24 oxen. Um, this is his career, right? This is his livelihood. This is his occupation. And Elijah rolls up and puts his cloak upon him to show that he is the next prophet of God. Instantly, he goes and chases after him. He talks to his mother and father, and then what's he do? He takes his oxen, and he slaughters them, chops them up to use as meat, right? Then he takes the plows, he takes the farm equipment, and he chops those up uh, to create a big bonfire, right? So they can have this big, massive party to celebrate the new calling that God has placed upon his life. And he kind of rolls out with Elijah um, in this celebratory scene. 
Incredible. I mean, there's no doubt um, Elisha, he's a man of one thing. He's a man of one thing. Um, He's passionate. He's single-minded, right? He he has the single focus. And there's there's a word in the Bible um, that is used to describe this type of single-mindedness, this passion, this single focus. Uh, It's a word that we don't really use a lot in our English language. Uh, It's the word zeal. Okay, we see in Romans chapter 12 verse 11 the Apostle Paul says that we as Christians should never be lacking in zeal And so if he says that we should never be lacking in it um, It's probably a pretty good idea for us to at least know what it is right so that we can Attempt by the grace of God to never be lacking in it man One of my favorite definitions of zeal uh, comes from an old pastor. His name's the Bishop J.C. Ryle Um, And this is what he says about zeal and how he kind of defines it and describes it. He says, um, zeal in religion, uh, a zealous man in religion, is preeminently a man of one thing. He he only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God and advance his glory. Whether he lives or whether he dies. Uh, Whether he is uh, sick or whether he is healthy, whether he is rich, or whether he is poor, whether he gets blame, or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor, or whether he gets shame, whether he pleases men, or whether he offends them. The zealous man, he cares nothing at all, for he burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. And even if he is consumed in the very burning the zealous man, he cares nothing at all because he feels that he's like a candle. He was made to burn. And the zealous man, he, he will give the Lord no rest until he finds a sphere uh, for his zeal. If he cannot preach and teach and serve, then he will, he will pray and he will cry and he will sigh to the Lord. Uh, the zealous man gives the Lord no rest until his work on this earth is done. To please God, and to advance his glory. This is what we're talking about when we talk about a zealous man, a man of one thing. And Elisha is definitely a man of one thing. As I said, consider what he has has given up, right? If we are to be men and women of one thing, if we are to be uh, zealous followers of Jesus Christ, it absolutely requires us to release control uh, of a lot of things in our life. Uh, Just look at all the things that Elisha uh, was kind of required to uh, let go, to release control of in his life. His family, right? Man, that's a tough one. Um, May not get tougher than that for a lot of us. Um, We don't know a lot about his his, uh, historical family situation, but in biblical times, for the most part, man, people stayed in the same place. A generation after generation after generation lives in the same place, and they don't travel too far from each other. They don't, they don't really move away. They don't move from Illinois to Florida like we do now, right? And so it's very likely that Elisha um, was in this place where he was surrounded by his entire extended family. Had been that his whole life, likely will be his whole life. He's in this very comfortable, kind of safe, secure environment. Um, in this probably good relationship with his parents, And he has to go to his parents and tell them, um, this is the call that God has placed uh, on my life. I will be leaving. Um, I don't know when I will see you again. I don't know 
if I will see you again ever, right? Man, imagine having that conversation with your parents. But he, he, he lets go of it. He releases control of it. And then we talked about, um, he basically, he, he, lets, he lets go of basically everything by, by slaughtering his oxen and by chopping up his farm equipment, right? Like we talked about, I mean, this is his source of income. Um, what once put money on the table for him was now in the bellies of his friends and family, right? There's no going back at this point, people. Uh, he, he's letting go. He, he's releasing control of his occupation, his wealth, his comfort, his future. I feel like I need to slow down so we, so we can really think about these things and what it would be like for us to do this, right? He lets go of his family. He lets go of control of his future. He lets go of control of his occupation. He lets go of control of his comfort. He lets go of control of his safety. He lets go of control of his wealth. He lets it all go, right? He, he, he releases control of it to follow God, to be a man of one thing. There's no turning back at this point. Uh, the oxen have been slaughtered. The farm equipment has been chopped up. And although it says in the text um, that it appears they have this kind of uh, going away celebration for him, and he leaves in a very honorable way. My guess is there were some people, um, maybe if it weren't his parents, maybe it was a cousin, uh, maybe it was a friend, uh, maybe it was someone that he worked with in the fields, um, that kind of doubted and questioned his decision to let go of it all and, and to go, Right? Because by worldly standards, man, he had it all probably. He was wealthy um, in this very secure, comfortable position. And he lets it all go to follow the Lord. And I'm sure um, there are some, maybe even followers of the Lord, that question his decision. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. Um, I found myself in that place a time or two in my life where um, in some way, I knew that God was calling me to make some big decisions that was requiring me to let go of some pretty serious things. Um, and as I did, uh, there, there were people in my life, uh, friends, family, even fellow believers, that greatly questioned some of the decisions. Uh, one example would be, um, when I, I graduated from college, uh, my wife and I got married two months after we graduated college. I graduated with a degree in social science education, so I taught high school and coached basketball uh, for four years. Man, I loved it. It was awesome. Uh, I was at this great school, kind of a bigger school. Um, it was a great teaching position. I taught psychology and sociology, so it was like upper-level college-bound students, and, and I, just, I just loved it. Um, the Lord just placed me in, in the right place and, and used my giftings in, in a great way for His glory, and I, I loved it. Um, without being boastful, I was, uh, I, I won teacher of the year at the school, like the second year that I, that I was teaching. It was just a great fit. It was a great school. Uh, I loved what I was doing. Students responded really well uh, to me generally. And it was, just, it was just a great fit. But it was about the fourth year that I was teaching psychology and sociology. Um, man, my heart has always been ministry since I became a Christian my senior year of high school, and I knew whatever my occupation was, uh, the heart of it would always be ministry. Um, but it's about, the, end, it's about the, the beginning of my fourth year of teaching that my passion to be in the classroom um, was diminishing. 
And my, my, my interest in teaching psychology and soci- sociology was greatly shrinking. And there, there's just the ceiling uh, in the public school system um, that, that holds you back from really teaching the gospel and, and teaching the good news. And this, um, this desire within me that the Lord had placed to teach the good news and to teach the gospel was just um, bubbling up and beginning to overflow uh, out of me. And so at the end of my fourth year of teaching, um, I decided to resign from my teaching position. I had no idea what I was going to do next. Absolutely no clue. Um, I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't have any conversations going on. I didn't have anything. All I knew um, is that I wanted to teach the gospel. Kind of the clincher for me was uh, there was a girl um, towards the middle of, of my uh, teaching year, that fourth year, I taught semester classes. She's actually a foreign exchange student from Kazakhstan. And she came up to me at the end of the middle semester. I taught sociology. Uh, she was in my sociology class. And uh, she gave me this great compliment. Um, and, and she said to me something like, Mr. Drury, I just want to thank you at the end of class one day. And I, I said, okay, why's that? And, and she said, um, you have shown me what I want to do with my life sociology. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, praise God, that's, that's a great compliment. But man, how much, how much greater would it be for the glory of God if it was a student saying, um, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to love him. I want to give everything to him right? So it's kind of just, man, that was just kind of the last straw for me. And so I resigned from my teaching position at the end of my fourth year of teaching. Had no idea uh, what was next. A lot of my friends and family, like I said, fellow believers, were questioning me. What are you doing, bro? You've got a wife. Um, She's getting her master's degree. She doesn't have a job, right? You're supporting her. Um, You're resigning from your position, a great teaching job that you're you're doing really well at. Um, You don't have anything lined up at all, like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, but I feel like I need to, to let go of control here and just take a step of faith and trust the Lord. And so um, it was probably a week after I resigned from my teaching position. I was a member, my wife and I were members of a great church, kind of like Bay Life, similar in size to Bay Life in Missouri. And uh, I was asked to be a part of a group of men to lay the foundation for a men's ministry at our church. And so I went to this meeting, and there were probably about a dozen of us guys there, and our executive pastor had us all go around and kind of share our name um, and what we, what we do for a living, and it got to me, and I said, my name's Shane, I've been a high school teacher for four years, I just um, actually resigned from my high school teaching position because um, I know I want to continue to work with young people, but I want to be more focused in sharing the word of God with them. And my executive pastor, man, he got this look on his face, and he said, would you stay after for a moment and talk to me about that? And I said, sure, didn't think anything of it, right? And he just asked me to share my heart a little bit. And he said, okay, that's really interesting. I'll be praying for you, you know, in, in, in your next steps here. Um, a few days later, I was cleaning out my classroom, um, and I get a phone call. And it's my executive pastor, a guy I really didn't know that well at all. Um, and he said, hey, I, I was really encouraged. I've been talking to a few people about you um, over the last few days. I would love for you to come in and talk to talk to me about becoming uh, one of our youth pastors here at the church. I about dropped the phone, to be honest with you. Like, I was initially excited, but I became very fearful, because this was a huge church, and there were hundreds and hundreds of students, 
And I'd never preached a sermon before. I'd never been to seminary. I didn't have any formal training at all. There was no way that I should have even been considered for, for that position. But by God's grace, in God's timing, in God's ways, as I stepped out and let, con- let go and, and let go of control, um, God uh, did his amazing part and his sovereignty and just lined things up. And I was blessed with this incredible opportunity to come on staff at this awesome church and be a youth pastor and was there for four years. I had a great mentor that I learned so much from um, and and just had an awesome opportunity. Now I was doing exactly what I felt like God created me to do, right? I was still teaching. I was still working with young people. But instead of teaching psychology and sociology, I was blessed to have the opportunity to teach the word of God. And so it was just incredible to see Um, how God uh, responded and how faithful God was um, in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his grace. Um, It it was all um, by his grace for his glory. And so question for you tonight, again, what's your one thing? What is your one thing? And maybe what's what's the one thing that you're holding on to that may be uh, holding you back from doing what God is wanting you to do with your life. Maybe holding you back um, from going anywhere, from doing anything, from giving up anything in your life. What's your one thing? Interestingly, um, there's another story in the New New Testament that's actually very similar in a lot of ways to Elisha, but the outcome could not be more different. It's a story that most of you are probably more familiar with. Uh, it's a story that we often call the rich young ruler, right? It's found in several places in the gospel. Um, I think Mark chapter 10 is a place that it's in. Uh, indeed it is. And like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a very similar story, eerily similar in a lot of ways. And what we see happening is um, Jesus is walking down the road, and this, this guy, this rich young ruler, okay, so we see a lot of similarities between him and Elisha. Um, it's a rich young man, okay? So this rich young ruler, much like Elisha, comes running up to Jesus. And they, they have this conversation. And the rich young ruler basically says, um, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they, they have this dialogue, and they kind of go back and forth a little bit. And then ultimately, Jesus says to him, um, what you need to do is go sell everything you have, um, give it to the poor, and then follow me, right? And what happens, uh, because the rich young ruler is a wealthy man, um, it says that his face falls when Jesus says this, right? Um, What a description. His face fell, and he walked away sad. He walked away sad. So similar in a, lot, in a lot of ways, right? Um, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have. Give it all up, right? Let go of control of everything. See, Jesus knew that this man, he, he was not uh, trusting in the Lord. He was trusting in his wealth and his possessions. And so Jesus went right to the heart of this man by saying, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. His face falls and he walks away sad. How incredibly sad is that? How incredibly sad. Here is this rich young ruler. He is holding on so tightly to his possessions 
and to his wealth. He, he is holding on to it so tightly. He's gripping it so tightly. He's unwilling, like Elisha was, he's unwilling to let go of it all. He's unwilling to, to let go of it all. And, and, and look at the difference. Elisha lets go of it all, and he walks away to this uh, grand uh, party, sending him off, right? He walks away rejoicing. Um, but look at the rich young ruler. He instead, he holds on to these things, and he walks away sad instead. Wow. So question for you tonight. Um, generally speaking, who are you living like? Are you living like Elisha? Or are you living like the rich young ruler? Are you living like Elisha, where you are willing to let go of everything in your life? Let go of control. Let go of your comfort. Let go of your future. Let go of the unknowns in your life. Let go uh, of, of wealth. Let go of your occupation. Let go of your own hopes and dreams. Just letting it all go to be a man or woman of one thing? Or are you more like the rich young ruler? You're, you're, you're gripping, you're holding on so tightly to things in your own life that is keeping you from following Christ like he wants you to. You're gripping your comfort, you're gripping your wealth, you're gripping your future, you're gripping your family, and it's holding you back from being a man or woman of one thing. And honestly, I think this is a challenge for all of us every day, especially as wealthy Americans, right? This is a challenge for us each and every day. And I think, honestly, we, we have to wake up and, and be aware that there is a battle in our hearts for how we're going to live each and every day. Are we going to live like Elisha, or are we going to live like the rich young ruler? And, and honestly, I think it would be wise for us to start off the day with, with a prayer, helping, asking God to help us uh, be men and women of one thing, and to, to let go our control of all things. Um, there's a specific prayer um, that I just love. It's by one of my favorite, um, well, I, I guess you wouldn't call him author, um, one of my favorite Christian men from the last century. Um, probably a guy that you're familiar with. His name is, is Jim Elliott. He was a missionary. I won't tell you the, all the details of the story, but uh, in great faith, when he was around your all's age, he took his wife and his kids with several other missionaries and their families um, to uh, South America to try to uh, share the gospel with this group of Indians that were known to kill everyone they ever came in contact with. And they do all these things to try to befriend them. And, and finally, they, they seek to have contact with these Indians and um, these Indians uh, speared Jim Elliott and several of his uh, missionary friends to death, and, and, they, and they die in the streams of Ecuador that day. But Jim Elliott, he was an incredibly godly man. I mean, obviously from that story, you can tell he's a man of one thing. He's willing to let go of his family. He's willing to let go of his precious wife, his precious young children for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's willing to let go of his comfort to go to uh, a third world country. He, he's willing to let go of his safety, of his future, of his health, of the health of his family, right? The safety of his family. Man, he, he, he lets it all go, right? And what we have from Jim Elliott, um, a book I would recommend to you, I think Travis would thumbs up this, I don't know if he's read or not. It's called Shadow of the Almighty. It's by Jim Elliott's wife. 
um, who is also an incredibly godly woman and great author. And she basically takes Jim Elliott's journals, prayer journals and things like that, um, and she uses those to help tell the story of his life. Um, and what we see from, from his journals is just this incredibly surrendered godly man. And, and here's a prayer that he had written in his journals that he would pray often that I think fits so perfectly into what we're talking, talking about. This is what he would pray. He would say, Father, let me be weak that I may loosen my grip on everything temporary. My life, my reputation, my possessions. Lord, let me loosen the tension of the grasping hand. Rather, open my hand to receive the nails of Calvary. Whew. Open my hand, Lord. Open my hand. Let me let go of the things of this world. Let me let go of them to open my hand to receive the nails of Calvary as Christ was opened, that I, releasing all, might be released, right? That I, releasing all, that I'm released, unleashed from all that binds me now. And so, young men and young women, um, I ask you tonight, what are you holding so tightly to? What are you grasping onto, unwilling to let go of, to receive the nails of Christ, to be unleashed for the glory of God, for his kingdom, for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is holding you back? Is it a lack of faith? Is it um, a lack of trust? Is it doubt? Well, let me tell you, it's time to slaughter the oxen. It's time to chop up the farm equipment. It's time to release control of all those things in your life to be a man or woman of one thing for his glory. What are you, what are you holding on to? Is it comfort? Is it family? Is it wealth? Is it any of these things? It's time to release the grip on these things, to receive the nails of Calvary so the gospel of Jesus Christ can be unleashed in your life for his glory for his kingdom, that you may please him and be a man or woman of one thing. So I encourage you tonight, before you go to bed maybe, um, before you put your head on the pillow, just get down on your knees and ask the Lord um, to evaluate your heart, to evaluate your mind, to evaluate what you may be holding on to so tightly uh, that is keeping you from following Jesus that is possibly causing you to walk away sad in your life right now. It may be a sin habit. It may be a sin habit that you are holding on to so tightly, unwilling to let go of. Um, it's bringing you temporary pleasure, but eternally it is destroying you in some way. Be willing to let go of temporary pleasure for long-term glory for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we're thankful. Man, we have so much to be thankful for. Um, thankful for the gospel 
of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the obedience of your son, Jesus, to be the ultimate man of one thing, not to do his will, but to do your will. If anyone deserved to do their will, it was him, fully man, fully God. But he let go of his comfort. He let go of his safety. He let go of his health. He let go of his family. He let go of everything to follow you, to be a man of one thing, for your glory, and to open the way for us to be made right with you, to be forgiven of our sin, to be reconciled to you through faith in his death and resurrection. So, Father, we're thankful. Thankful that you would love us so deeply, that you would be willing to send your son, Jesus, to live and die on our behalf. And Jesus, we're thankful that you released it all, that you let go of it all to obey for our sake. And so I pray that it would be our joy. I pray that it would be our joy to obediently and joyfully surrender all things to you. Why wouldn't we, God? Why wouldn't we let it all go? Though it may bring us suffering, though it may bring us harm, though it may bring us persecution and, and ill will, why would we not uh, forsake all for you, our King, who has loved us and demonstrated it um, so uh, profusely through the gospel? Lord, may we joyfully let it all go to be men and women of one thing for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray these things in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.